welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast, where every week we review each episode of HBO's original television series, Six Feet Under, with your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio. Hello and welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. I'm your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio, and today we are here to discuss episode six of season two, titled In Place of Anger. Today I'm here with special guest Neil McGarry of Nitpicking the Next Generation podcast. Hello, Neil. Hi there. Neil, before we get into the show, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about your podcast. Uh, Neil runs a, a Star Trek podcast, and uh, as I was telling him off mic uh, during the week, it was a rather hilarious episode. I don't know if that's the uh, if that's the intention of each episode, but uh, you you could talk about it f- better than I can. So uh, your podcast, nitpicking the next generation. Yeah, nitpicking is a podcast I run with Daniel Ravapinto, and we listen to every episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation in sequence. We're on the middle of episode three now, and we approach it. I guess you know with we try to be insightful, but. We also find a lot of humor there because some of those episodes are terrible. <laughs> um, what what years? What years are we talking of of the TV at that range? Let's see. I think the first season of Next Generation aired in 1987. Okay, it ran seven seasons, so I guess it went off the air sometime in the middle of 1995. Yeah, uh, I was listening to, uh, I guess it was, was it episode 62, the one I had uh, ref- uh, emailed you about? Oh, yes. <laughs> and man, I, I'm someone who, I'm not, I'm not a, not that I'm, a, I'm out to, a, you know, Star Trek or whatnot. It's just, it's something in my, my nerd kingdom that I haven't gotten around to. And having never seen, I, I don't know much about Star Trek, right? I was laughing hysterically. <laughs> you, the way you guys were just chopping down again. Like in my, I was sort of making it up in my head. And again, I'm speaking specifically to one episode. But yeah, it was really funny, intentional or not. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. You know, I have a fear that someday we're going to run into one of these Star Trek actors, and oh, <laughs> uh, they're going to be like, "Hey, <laughs> I heard what you said about me." Oh boy, that's funny. So far, so good. <laughs> And Neil, I found you, uh, most of the people, those the guests so far I've found on the podcast have been mostly through Twitter, and I had found you in probably so far the, the least unconventional way. If, <laughs> if you remember right, I, I was browsing through, uh, John, De- John Teddy did a, a rewrite or a, a written retrospective on, on Six Feet Under mm. and on uh, AV Club, and I... I I forget now, and I should have maybe gone through our emails. I think you had just commented on an episode, and it was fairly recent because his reviews are about five years ago. Mm-hmm. I remember your your comment was like three months ago. It was is that can you can you lend some truth to that? I'm trying to make it up in my head. Yeah, oh, you know, what? I remember what it was. It was okay. from season one. Okay, that makes sense. When David was dating that insufferable guy named Kurt. Remember the the guy who was running the the dancing class for the senior citizens? (laughs) Remember him? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, okay, okay. Yes. Yeah, and you know, Kurt. Oh gosh, I again, not to overuse this word, he was insufferably smug, (laughs) and he had that sort of faux open mindedness, but he was really just an ignorant little. (laughs) 
Anyway. So you liked him. So you liked him. <laughs> you know, I, I know I dated someone like him back yes, in the 90s. And that was your comment, right? That was your comment that you dated someone just like Kurt. I, I'm, I'm sure I made that comment because I yeah, definitely yeah. dated someone like him. <laughs> oh, too funny. So now let me ask you, uh, going back to that, because this is something we had never spoken about, your history with Six Feet Under. Uh, I'm assuming you, you've seen the series and you're a fan. Again, we hadn't talked to any of this just off mic, just... I saw your comment, and we just sort of went off from there. Uh, your history with Six Feet Under, well, how did you, when was your first watching and all that? I watched it on DVD. It had long since aired, long since finished airing, right? I think it had. I was watching it with my, my now husband, and um, we just got hooked on that. We thought it was great. I just, I, I was transfixed from the first episode. Now, we had to stop it. We had to take a break because someone close to us passed away, and I couldn't handle a show about death at that time. <laughs> wow. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, then we got back into it and finished it up, and ever since then, it's my favorite HBO series. It still is. I have the DVDs. I'm just head over heels. You know what's really funny? I picked up when you had said it. Everyone I talked to about that, one way or another, a death gets brought up in regards to the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I had... Uh, Man, just about just about every guest so far, it's just something where someone had died and that sort of the show helped or even like your scenario where you had to stop the show because you were like, yeah, not right now. Can't do this. I have to get on with myself. But uh, yeah, that, that's pretty funny. And yeah, so I just threw a comment of the AV Club and, mm-hmm. and here we are. And uh, I think we could get into tonight's episode. Okay. Uh, again, like I said, it's uh, episode six of season two in place of anger. And our episode aired April 7th, 2002. And our death capsule starts out with a work group outing of sorts. And, you know, basically pretty clear to the point. We have this young man and woman talking, flirting, and Matthew Collins uh, approaches them drunk. Uh, makes somewhat of a scene and, you know, the guy and girl move away. Uh, Matthew drops his drink overboard and falls over and dies. Mm. And as we later learn, gets chopped up uh, into the propellers. Whew. <laughs> uh, something and again there is every scene has so much to chew on right but did you did you pick up on the name of the company that they were out for you, you know I have to tell you I didn't because I was too much I was too busy giggling over the name of the ship well oh no what was it that's funny <laughs> which was the Dapper Dina <laughs> which uh, <laughs> oh that's so uh, okay <laughs> 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 okay, I mean, I don't mean to make light of this poor guy falling into the water and getting chopped right, up, but... Right, right, <laughs> I did not even... That's so funny. I did not even pick up on that. Oh, boy. Uh, it, I mean, that's a lot... Uh, the name of the company that they're out for is Parkinson's, and, like, you couldn't have picked any other name for oh. your company than Parkinson's? Oh. I, I don't know. I just found it really odd. Uh, mm-hmm. But between the two, yours is way better. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, our episode starts out with Nate and Brenda on a high of sorts uh, after the engagement. And, you know, obviously us, the audience at this point, we know what a bad idea the engagement is. But Mm. uh, it's weird because they seem to be at a high we haven't experienced since they met, you know, where we're at in the show. But, you know, just the way Brenda's interacting with Nate, you know, Nate's like, I love you. And (laughs) Brenda says, great. Mm -hmm. And... You know, and it's something like, you know, if you're in a relationship, not every time you say I love you, it always has to mean I love you back and everything, but it just feels, it, it, it's so un, 
un, un, unaffectionate just the way, you know, Brenda is responding back to Nate. Yeah, and do you notice that she spends the entire scene dodging him when when he first comes yeah. out and, and says to her, so is our kind of off-again period over? And she says, for now, you know, <laughs> meaning that she's going to keep that around in case she needs to deploy it again. Right. It, it, she seems really, it seems really hard to, like, for Nate, right, to just to come and just open your arms and just totally love Brenda. There's all, like you said, yeah. There's there's always a roadblock. There's always something. I mean, <laughs> why 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 they're proposed? Why they're engaged at this point? You know, who knows within the show? But uh, we'll get to it. Mm. Uh, ben and David are getting ready for the day as Ben slept over. And Neil, you tell me if I'm reading into this too much. Uh, David's getting ready. Uh, well, they're, they're both getting ready for the day, and David's already ready. Like he's basically just has to tighten up his tie and he's good to go Mm -hmm. and ben is sort of still going through you know putting his pants on you know socks and everything his belt whatnot i don't know i sort of i sort of saw it as like david already knows like he's he he can't invest too much into this because you got keith there Mm. whereas ben is just still trying to like you know sort of come along he's still figuring it out with you know basically they're on different planes right as we see because just the just the the image of keith for david knows he's still in love with him you think i'm reading too much into that or you think there's something there with just how david's ready already and ben's like still getting dressed Uh, no actually i completely agree i I hadn't thought of it that way but Mm -hmm. it's almost like it's sort of the inverse of calling somebody the cab you know he doesn't throw (laughs) ben out but he's Uh making it clear like you need to go (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah that's funny too yeah so i think that's really insightful uh-huh uh-huh we miss collins is in to make arrangements and she's pretty shaken up from her husband's death and you know we'll find out later mm. uh, especially uh with the cigarette but here starts the the price shopper storyline and here david gives her a quote estimate of seven thousand which we see the, later the unger mortuary uh an affiliate of kroner undercuts the fishers uh, just speaking on the funeral director side, right? Like that stuff happens all the time in, in the death care industry, mortuary service, what do you want to call it? Uh, Although, can I ask you? So that please. seven that seven thousand dollar quote that he gives to mm-hmm. Mrs. Collins for the time was that about what someone would pay at a funeral home? I'm assuming that's a a little bit higher, just a tad higher uh, for the time. And again, too, area matters. I know they're in Los Angeles, but I don't know what part of Los Angeles. Um, you know, uh, there's places in New York City where where a funeral can be anywhere, you know, twenty five thousand. Whereas, you know, let's say call a full service funeral home, a full service funeral, and you know, somewhere in Tennessee, you know, that same funeral is four thousand. Hmm. So it really just depends on anything. That seems a little bit above what I would expect it. To, again, I only started in two thousand six. Um, it's a little bit above what I think it would call for, but maybe maybe they're in a, a bigger, more of a nicer area or okay. whatever. You know, that's why the prices match that, you know. Mm-hmm. You get the same thing. And we did it like a couple, oh, sometime last season. You go to one funeral home and it's 6000 and you go to the next funeral home just because it's in a different part of town and it's 3000 mm-hmm. You know, market, market and all that. Okay. Uh, we see Claire come downstairs and our good friend Nikolai is back. <laughs> <laughs> I, he's just so cheery just you know when he comes in I, I forget the exact word he says but it's you know good morning have some orange juice and Claire's <laughs> like well apparently it is 
<laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, there is something fundamentally weird about coming down in the morning and having breakfast with the guy who's boning your mom. I mean, how awkward. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, I know it happens and everything, but there's something, an added, see, I don't know here, because now I'm, I'm going through it in my mind. Is it less awkward because of Ruth's age? Right, like if, if your if your if your mom was younger, like like forty, fifty, I don't know how how old do you think Ruth is? Sixty? Oh, in that scene, yeah. I'm thinking Ruth is probably. All right, let me think. Nate is probably about thirty six, and Ruth was very young when she had him. So I'm thinking right. Ruth is about fifty five, really, or fifty six, because okay. um, she said she was really young when she got pregnant with Nate. You know, she and Nathaniel had to get married right away. Right, right. And uh, she, yeah. her character, so I'm looking here, is 1946. It was okay. born in 1940. Not, 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 not Frances Conroy, her character. Right, I'm right. looking, and I can't spoil. So 1946. So that puts her at here. She's, yeah, you're right. She's 54. She's 56. You, you nailed it right on the head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my obsession with six feet under. <laughs> you just know the years everyone's born. That's funny. Right, but can I say something else? Doesn't uh-huh. Ruth has this ability to find the only heterosexual guy who does what these people do? Like, she's having an affair with Nathaniel on the straight hairdresser, right? <laughs> yeah. And now she's sleeping with the straight florist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, next she's going to find some rent boy who's actually straight. <laughs> Oh, but yeah. <laughs> I, I, I never even picked up on that. I mean, I always thought it was weird that he was a hairdresser. Not that it was weird, but it was a, they, they, the decision to make him a hairdresser. They could have made him a mechanic. They could have made him anything. Sure. They, they made the decision to make him a, a hairdresser. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> it's like there's a gay man inside her somewhere, like uh-huh. struggling to get out. <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah. Uh, But Ruth is watering flowers and in walks her sister, who we've yet to hear of, uh, Sarah. Um, After we find out what we know about Ruth and Sarah, um, there's there's a beautiful camera shot where Sarah's reflection is in the door Mm. right before she walks in. You know, there's, there's sort of... Ruth is in the door... And all we see is like Sarah's reflection, which is also on Ruth. Mm-hmm. You know, I just like you know when we find out what we know about her. We had always got the just the way they're talking about the plan, right? And this is sort of everything about her character. Ruth is coming with. I started doing the plan, and that's why I reached out, and I'm house building and everything. And Sarah's just like, yeah, I, I blew the I blew the guy off, <laughs> you know, and I slept with the guy from the plan. <laughs> Um, <laughs> again, there, there's so many examples of how Sarah, you know, the, the, the character that Sarah is and complete, complete opposite to what Ruth is, right? I mean, mm. you couldn't make a more opposite. Yeah. And what I think is great is that Ruth at this point is still very enchanted with the plan and, you know, making the blueprints for her life and all that nonsense. Yeah. And Sarah manages in two sentences to completely dismantle it. <laughs> All of it, all of it. I did that in the seventies when it was called something else. Transitional focus. Still do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is exactly <laughs> what it would sound like if it was in the seventies. Yeah, like totally. The, the 
<laughs> but know. yeah, she just disengages everything that mm-hmm. Ruth has built up in just a matter of a few sentences. Yeah. Oh, man. It, 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 I just love Frances Conroy's face. As, as she's just like, okay, yeah, take that from me too, Sarah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, uh, later uh, Claire comes home and meets Sarah. And their, their meeting is just as, if you remember, uh, Claire's first meeting with Lisa. There's just this long, awkward hug and everything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's funny because, you know, one of the first things Claire says is, you know, I, I thought you were dead. <laughs> but I have to say, and it's something I spoke about when, when I first started the podcast, is the casting between Claire and Ruth. I mean, it's to the point that you actually believe, like, you could totally believe, right, that Claire is Ruth's daughter. Mm-hmm. Like, apart from understanding it's a TV show and everything. But then you, you bring in Sarah, and then it got me to thinking, am I just doing a thing where it's just all, like, all redheads look alike? Or, or, or is, is the casting here that, that well? Um... I mean, I guess there's a tendency, I mean, to say, like, yeah, they all have red hair. They must be related. Right, right. But, you know, I have to tell you, I think that the scenes between Claire and Ruth, there aren't that many of them, mm-hmm. but they're so worth watching. Um, yeah. You know, and I'd also like to point out that Sarah, the first thing she says to Claire is, you know, your skin, it's like milk, treasure it while you have it, <laughs> which she's kind of negging her, don't you think? What, what do you mean? It, it, go on further. Well, when you neg someone, okay. um, it's when you say something that's ostensibly a compliment, but there's really kind of a put down in there too. Like, like a backhanded compliment of sorts. Yeah. She, yeah? When okay. she meets David later, she negs him as well. Okay. Um, so when we get to that, you know, I, rem- oh, I wrote it, down the line. Oh, I remember what it is. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. Get there. Okay, yeah, yeah. I want to hear more about that because I didn't... I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's her entire character. You're, you're 100% right on that. It's just to, just to constantly put down everyone in the nicest way possible of sorts. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, we'll get there. And, I mean, just, just furthermore, with Sarah, when, when she goes in Claire's room, right? Mm. Uh, how would you categorize Sarah? She, she's a hippie? I don't. I wrote down gypsy, but I know she's not a gypsy. It's just it, it's just like the words that started flowing out of my head of of what she you know, it, the idea of her uh, introducing or like sort of awakening uh, the art in Claire or the art gene of sorts. I mean, she's definitely got that art speak patter down. Art speak. That's so perfect. You yes. know, where where she can say like, you know, I see in this picture, I see alienation and resistance to the system, but an envy of it as well. You know, it, yeah. it's clear that she spent a lot of time either in art school or around artistic people. Mm-hmm. But here's, I'll tell you, here's what I like about Sarah. Sarah's one of my favorite Six Feet Under characters of all time. Okay. Because she does have this sort of hippy dippy, um, you know, I, I majored in tofu at Vassar. <laughs> you know, way about her. <laughs> but at the same time, there is something innately sensible about her because in this scene, I remember Claire starts to do her like, I'm angry at the world thing. And mm-hmm, Sarah cuts mm-hmm. her off and says, you know, D- don't give me that general apathy nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Because you're better than that. And that's what I like about Sarah. I mean, she is hippy dippy. Right, right. But there is some wisdom in there. There is, yeah. There, there, there's some, there, there's some truth in everything, and you know, just because the, the messenger isn't the most reliable doesn't mean the message is false. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And yeah, it, it, it's a solid point about her. And she she's of of we could go on and on with adjectives about her uh, one of them being you know like freeze uh, breezy right mm-hmm. so you just kind of go with the flow and uh, art speakers that <laughs> i was searching for that term that's such a great term when when she riles up claire to the point where she when they, when they're making dinner and we'll talk about the dinner scene mm-hmm. but she gets to the point where she actually asks to help mm-hmm because <laughs> then I was kind of with Ruth and it was like, wait, wait seriously? Claire is asking to help make dinner? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, you know, we could see why the relationship and why Sarah was never around mm-hmm. without having known what actually happened. And <laughs> when we actually find out what happens, it's insane. Um, it's just funny. You know, Sarah is telling Claire how to cook and so, sort of to what we're speaking to. She's just going, there's no recipe needed. You know, mm-hmm. you just go by feel. You just edit this and that. Uh, she says, uh, what did she say about the butter, or was it mashed potatoes, that you just make eight logs? It, it's the butter. <laughs> it's the butter. Like, why? <laughs> well, you know what's so great about that? So she says, like, it's deliciously sensual. And, <laughs> and then Ruth goes, Claire, wash your hands first. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and, that, and that's where I was like, oh, man, I bet you that was their relationship their entire life. Yep. Sarah's the fun person, <laughs> and Ruth always has to be like, yes, don't do that. Wash your hands. She, she's the fun killer. Yes. And, and no one wants to be that person, but someone has to be that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that scene, because I have that written down too, where it's like, wash your hands. It's like, yes, yes, that's exactly that's exactly their mm-hmm. relationship. But yeah, I mean, we could talk about dinner, right? The, the dinner was called by Nate to announce him and Brenda's engagement. And Neil, something I love, something I talk about in the podcast is, the six feet under dinner scenes. Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. They're so good. Uh, I, I think I, I have to go back and start ranking them because this one, it's not. I don't. It's not as. There's not as so much going on as the other ones, but it's still a great scene because you have at this point, you know, Sarah and Nikolai are just downing shots. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're singing their their Russian songs together and all that. Um, but here, I had felt genuinely bad for Ruth. You know, go. Oh, do you disagree? No, no. Actually, oh, okay. Look, I'm very sympathetic to Ruth in a lot of ways. I, I mean, she drives me crazy sometimes. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. But I mean, this dinner. <laughs> I mean, this is like the red wedding. You know what I mean? <laughs> this dinner is terrible for oh, Ruth. <laughs> it's the red wedding for Ruth. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, think about all the stuff that that, that kind of comes out at the table. Holy <laughs> shit, that's funny. It's an ordeal for her. Oh my god, I've never mad. That is really funny. Um, yes, yes. Well, I, yes. One by one, Ruth is just sort of keeps getting knocked down. You know, a peg at everything. In in a matter of minutes. Again, we start in the opening where we we just when when she comes in, we could just see immediately how how different they are and whatever. Mm-hmm. In a matter of how much time Claire has been here, she has a stronger again. It, it, it's it's on the surface, but she has a stronger relationship with Claire than she ever had with Ruth. Mm-hmm. Uh, right? Infuriating um, in, 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 for for Ruth. And then the announcement of the engagement, which is, first of all, horrible timing. Like, Nate has to read the room better and see Ruth is, <laughs> Ruth is like, clearly, clearly, like, 
just the idea of like dropping, like she, because she drops the fork, mm-hmm. and, and everyone does like a head check. And it's like, yeah, like you really have to, or, you know, read the room better. Um, Ruth, you know, to it too is, Ruth is like left out of the toast. If you noticed, and that's like, yeah, it's just driving it more and more. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Well, uh-huh. and you know, Sarah is at her inebriated best because she's just finished <laughs> a bunch of vodka shots with with uh, Nikolai, right? Uh-huh. Now she's guzzling wine and she's taking Vicodin. <laughs> yeah, which is yeah, of course. So, and she offers everyone. Uh huh. So I mean, and Sarah is unfiltered even when she's stone sober. <laughs> and yeah, now yeah. she's really hammered. <laughs> I mean, I have to tell you, whoever, whoever that art school, you know, the film school, they say don't uh-huh. don't have dinner scenes. They didn't see Six Feet Under. Oh yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, and the, the first dinner scene that that we did on the podcast, it's like dinner scenes are really hard. Six Feet Under nails it so well that you wonder why other other forms of media don't do it more, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, six feet under does it great. Uh, to 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 the reason why there was like the split, right? They were in was it Topanga Canyon? That's where Sarah Canyon, lives. Right? Yeah, she okay. Lives in Topanga. Nate lost his virginity uh, illegally, right? Because he was yes. fifteen, and the woman is thirty-two. Because <laughs> <laughs> I love how it gets kicked off because. Sarah invites Claire up to her house one weekend to meet some of her friends, and that's when Ruth drops the fork. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, yes, yes, yes. Because like, oh, she's God, thinking, she's say it. yeah, are you going to have one of your friends deflower my daughter too? Like, <laughs> do you have some 60-year-old guy just waiting for Claire? <laughs> I mean, that's pretty uh, – maybe it's just a different time, right? Because if we're talking, what, like mid-80s? If 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 Nate lost his virginity when he was fifteen, right? That would have um, been twenty one years previous. Yes, that it would have been like the mid eighties. That's that's crazy, right? A fifteen year old to have sex with a thirty two year old. The, the the stigma. It's funny because if if Nate if Nate was a girl, like I don't think they would have not even. You can't even approach that. But sure. because you know you 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 sort of flip the sexes and it's kind of like it's funny almost, and that's crazy to think about, right? But yeah, I mean, first of all, and now remind me what what happened with David. Is it, is it the first time he saw saw a pair of breasts, or what, what exactly? I, I, I'm blanking out on what happened with him at Sarah's. I think what happened was, you know, Sarah had all these you know hippy dippy people over, and they're probably all getting high, and you know, probably mm-hmm. dancing naked around a drum or something, whatever mm-hmm. they do. Mm-hmm. And he wandered off because he was freaked out by it. And I think he just like oh yeah, and he was like lost for a day, right? Yeah, I think he wandered into the canyon and fell asleep under a tree or something, and then the next day he woke up and came back. Oh shit! So (laughs) how you ever forgive Sarah, right? I mean, yeah, I I guess time heals all wounds, but Jesus. Well, I mean, do you notice that I don't think Sarah's been at the house since then? That was twenty years previously. Yeah, I think that's the event uh that that estranged them. I think that was the final – the way I read it, it was that was the final straw. Among a bunch of other stuff, probably more personal family stuff, mm-hmm. that right there was like the end. And they, I, I seriously don't think they've spoken since that night or that weekend or whatever. Yeah. I, you know, look, you got to sympathize with Ruth because she's like, Sarah, I turned my teenage sons over to you for a weekend. You deflowered the one and lost the other. <laughs> 
um, you know, like, not what I had in mind. Right. I mean, the next, the, like, you go two notches lower, it's, it's, you have them hooked on drugs or death. Right. Like, that's it. That, that's the worst three things that could happen. And she's just, she managed to, and I bet you, I bet you that conversation where Ruth was probably flipping out to, to, to Sarah in 1980-something. <laughs> Sarah was just like, no, no, you're making this a big deal. Don't worry about it. <laughs> right? Right. <And> you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just some statutory rape. Come on, Ruth. Not a big deal. <laughs> uh, after this, this little dinner scene, right? I oh, wait, can, can, we, can we stay in the Go ahead, go ahead. Yes, please, right. please. There is a great line that I wrote down. Okay. Do you remember when they're talking about... Uh, <laughs> Sarah's calling Brenda Linda. <laughs> yes, yes. I love that. What narcissism. Okay. And so Brenda apologizes. And uh, or, or Sarah apologizes when Brenda points out the mistake. And, and she says, I'm sorry, I've been drinking all this vodka. You know, and, and I'm drunk. And it's, it's kind of like therapy. And so oh, Brenda right, says, right. oh, yeah, something habit-forming and expensive that completely destroys your ability to lead an authentic <laughs> life. And... Sarah's face is a study in stunned. Oh God! Yeah, like yeah. she's like, whoa. That, it's fun. It, that's always sitting there with Brenda, right? Like that is that is like her gun in the holster. Mm-hmm. To, to if any if anyone ever says something like that, she just brings that out, and she realizes how quick, right? Like she like whipped that out, and she sort of comes back. But yeah, it's pretty funny, right? And it's pretty truthful what Brenda's saying there. I mean, even Sarah, who at this point is high as a kite, is like, right. girl, you got some problems. <laughs> you can just hear Sarah thinking it. The idea that she keeps, right? Brenda is, if you're ranking narcissism on the show, it's Brenda 1, Nate 2. For Sarah to wow. come in and the way she's just, you know, jumping over everyone, for her to keep calling her Linda <laughs> is... <laughs> You know, she just knocks. She's just like a, like a bull in a china shop, knocking the two of them out of the way, and it just, it's so great because to no one else is that funny to except to Brenda. Like it's so ah, oh, the idea yeah. of calling Linda, I love that. And you know, she uh, Sarah negs Brenda as well. Yes, uh, yeah. When when they announce the engagement, right? Yeah, and she says, "Oh, Linda, I never saw you as the marrying type." <laughs> <laughs> like. Yeah. <laughs> there are three yeah. ways that that's wrong. Her name's not Linda. You've not known her for more than 20 minutes. And you just said she can't commit to somebody. Oh, my God. She's, there's this radio show I listen to, and they make this character called Shameless Man. And <laughs> this is probably her. And the, the character do is like, oh, wow, I, I see you've been losing some weight. And it's like, nope, I have cancer. He's like, great. <laughs> he just, you know, Oof. moves on to the next. Yeah, no, he never really said that, but it's like just how shameless that person could be, you know. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he's uh, at the cash register, and he's like, well, and I guess I'll give you the senior discount. The guy's like, no, I'm only 50. <laughs> great. And he just sort of moves on, you know, just sort of leaving people in shambles just as they go through life. Um, but, yeah, L- Linda and... You know, I never had you out for one for marriages. Yeah, it's great. It's great. She's wrecking this household. Oh. <laughs> and she had just showed up. Oh, I know. I mean, it, uh-huh. it's like every dark secret. Because Claire never knew about Nate's deflowering. Right, right, right. And she's laughing at it. And I guess it is funny 20 years later, although scary. <sighs> um, You know, I, I think you're right. The fact that 
the child involved was male makes us inclined to be like, oh, you know, it's no big deal. Yeah, and again, it depends which way, and it also depends how old you are when you look at it. Because if you're if you're closer to 20, 20 years old or whatever, you probably don't think it's a big deal. But once you get a little bit older, just because he's a male who's fifteen, it's still pretty goddamn scary. And like I said, and to flip it, they the writers don't even think of this if they were if you flip the sexes. Mm. That's a great. That, that's rape. I mean, it's rape regardless of sex, right? Sure. Again, like I was saying before. After, during the dinner, right, where, where Ruth finally, like, kind of flips out. So sweet and, like, so Nikolai's character where he's reading something's wrong with Ruth, but he has no idea what. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, let me give you a hug. <laughs> <laughs> like a big teddy bear. He has no idea what's going on. And, yeah, let me just give you a hug because it looks like you need one. Yeah, although do you notice that – so Sarah oh, – I'm sorry. Ruth plays out with Nikolai – what she's later accused of, which is Nikolai comes into the kitchen and basically tries to just give her affection and get her to uh-huh. Uh-huh. to relax and to open up to him, and she won't accept the help. Right, right. You know, she she allows herself to be hugged, and then she says, look at all these dishes. You know, he's kind of like, look, I'll help you with them. Yeah. Uh, even to go back to the episode before this, it's funny because, you know, the episode's The Invisible Woman, and Ruth is, is has this whole this whole thing about how she's going to die lonely and it's like you have three kids one one who's mid-30s and still lives with you Mm -hmm. you you know there's no shot you're dying alone you have three kids you might die alone without a spouse a boyfriend or, or anything like that but you have like three you have you probably have more than what most people have at her age you know with her her again obviously her husband had passed but her three kids who all still live (laughs) really close to her you know yeah although you know the fishers i think that their relationship is characterized by silence there's so much they don't say to each other and so So much they just instinctively avoid yeah so i mean she hungers for intimacy which is very difficult for silent people to give (laughs) and to force it right because like again, I'm speaking more about the prior episode, or maybe it's this episode. I get them mixed up. Where she's forcing the intimacy, she's like, "I just you can't ask for intimacy, right? Like it kind of mm-hmm. has to. I guess I guess you can mention it, right? But but to to get to get true intimacy, it's just sort of something that has to be there within a, a relationship, any relationship. Well, um, you know mm-hmm. what I would say, and this is this is kind of pro Ruth, so forgive okay. me. Um, <laughs> Oh, I remember that episode because she says to the kids, I just want some intimacy. Can't you give me intimacy? And Nate says it just has to develop. Mm-hmm. And I disagree with that because if intimacy were just something that happened, most people would have it with others. But most of us don't. I think int- intimacy is something you have to work on. Now, not like the crazy control freak way that Ruth tries. Right, right. <laughs> you know, but it does require effort. And Ruth, at least in her strange way, tries. Mm-hmm. Uh, not very successfully, though, unfortunately yeah. for her. I would say is her demanding it seems like the worst way possible to go about it. Oh, yeah. You know? And it's just like, <laughs> no, I can't, I can't be intimate, intimate with this animal who's, <laughs> you know, again, it, it, this is coming with the plan and all that. But um, Yeah, I mean, there, there are some sentences... That never achieve their goal, like 
don't get upset, stop crying, and yeah. be intimate with me <laughs> is one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, let's move on to uh, Mitzi, uh, the head of Kroner. <laughs> She's here to get the Fishers to sell again. Uh, like we said earlier, she hears in a, a conversation that the Fishers have undercut Kroner, and again, this makes her make her uh, you know this makes her aware of the Fishers, sort of make a, a final push to acquire them. Uh, she sends them on this elaborate plane, and you know we see Bobo a few episodes earlier, yeah. who you know he's the one who would rather have a plastic screw up his ass than sell. And <laughs> here he's talking about his, his golfing expeditions. Mm-hmm. I know we have to give the show some liberties at times. Nate and David, they would at least know what the point of all this is before getting on the plane (laughs) with the person who's trying to bury your business. Yeah, because, like, she couldn't take them somewhere and, like, sell them to white slavers or something. She could do, like, again, like, it's funny because you have to give the show some liberties, right? Like, you can't, you can't, everything... This is this is done for drama purposes, but it's just odd. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll totally get a plane with my competitor. Part of me, and it's funny, I remember thinking this the first time around. I was like, when, when they're at this party, right? When they're at Mitzi's super wherever, right? Mm-hmm. That she was going to blackmail them. Like, underage kids or a bunch mm. of fuckers and blow at a party, whatever. Uh, real quick, I thought the whole big party at Mitzi's house and sort of the plane, too, was kind of paralleling to the... The boat scene at the beginning, kind of like you know mm. the, the company, you know company, whoever here we think we we think the fishes are going down, right? We're led to believe, and if you remember that guy Matthew Collins in the beginning was mm-hmm. just like, yeah, you know this company's going down, whatever. But this party, right? Um, <laughs> I have to tell you, go ahead. I really like when they come into the house and Mitzi's bragging about how wonderful it is, and she says it had belonged to Frank Sinatra. And she's leading them past this this circular glass coffee table. And she says, I don't want to know what happened on that coffee table. <laughs> and I was like, I kind of do. <laughs> yes, yes. Everything she doesn't speak about, I want to hear. Uh, <laughs> but this elaborate plan to get them there to, to eventually, you know, have two brothers uncomfortably close in a hot tub. That was her plan? Like, that was her plan to get them to sell? I don't, what, what do you think about her her strategy to get them to sell, taking them on this plane to this party in a hot tub? Well, I'll tell you. And this – I think I may be reading more into this than the writers intended or maybe not. We'll decide. Yeah. Um, do you remember when they first get there and out of the pool, this hot guy comes climbing and she says that he's some soccer player or football player that he attached himself to her and he thinks she's going to get him into Hollywood as an actor? Uh, that's Pepper if I believe. Pepper, right? yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. And if you remember, Pepper's then running errands for her. He brings Nate and David drinks. He brings mm-hmm. them the check. Mm-hmm. And Nate is the one the whole time who seems the most ambivalent. I'm like, is Pepper the honeypot that's supposed to soften David up for the for the offer? Like, does she know that David is the weak link here? Wow. I, yeah, that's funny. Um, here's the thing. I won't deny it's not there. I feel like they would have brought that out more. Yeah. But I hadn't I, I hadn't looked at it that way, but now that you're saying cuz it's a weird scene in that this is her ploy to get them 
to sell. So you would think they are catering to their every need. If you want to dumb David down to the point of hot men, I, like it, it's that even 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 if that's the case, let's roll with it. That still seems really odd, right? Like have David make an entire business decision <laughs> based on just a hot guy at a hot tub, right? Um, I, yeah. I, it could be there. It could be there. It, it's definitely. It's not out of you're not reaching. I don't think you're reaching. I guess I guess is the best I could say. It's definitely there to read into. I mean, maybe maybe Mitzi has this idea because she's very motivated by money. That if she flashes the trappings of money, the private plane, the uh, former ex, you know, the Frank Sinatra house, and right. maybe she if she flashes that in front of them with the check, they'll be so bedazzled that they'll simply sign the papers. You know, maybe that's the way she thinks. Yeah, I, I, but I mean, at this point where the Fishers have been so, you know, standing their ground against everything that they've done so far, it just seems really odd. And Six Feet Under is really well done. And there's a lot of you can relate your life to the show. Mm. The This is one of their moments where it's like, I, I guess that's what we're led to believe, that she's going to flesh this in front of them and that will get the Fishers to sell. But I don't know how many too many people that this this would break them. I mean, if I had, like, my 18-year-old beer guzzling days, like, yeah, I would have sold you anything. I would have bought anything, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> go ahead. I think that I agree with you that it does pull you out of the, the fiction a little bit. I was waiting for it to, something else to happen. Yeah. And I, I, I remember that on my first watching, and then I remember watching now. It's like, all right, I'm waiting for, oh, yeah, she pulls something where whatever, the mm-hmm. blackmail or, or, or there's, there's whatever, whoever's here. And it's just like, no, she's just giving the check. And furthermore, it's like, oh, you're not taking the check? Five minutes. You got to go. Okay. <laughs> but then that's Mitzi to a T because when she fired Matt Gilardi in a fit of peak. Right, right, right. You know, it's not like – I don't think she had this plan like for weeks. I'm going to fire that guy on the second. No, she was just like, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm angry at you. Goodbye. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's but, her. And, you know, when they're on the plane back, right? Now, it's funny. I'm going to go against everything we just spoke about. When they're on the plane back, why why are they? Rather, I get why Nate rips up the check. But let's say on David's, David's end, like being so resistant to, let's assume, right, that, that Mitzi was giving them life-changing money. Mm-hmm. It was business you know, a compensation for the business and then some. And, you know, kind of like she says, you don't have to go anywhere. You're still working. You know, you're still part of Fisher Funeral Home. You're just under, you know, the subsidiary. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of fighting it so much, like, I mean, we know why Nate, right? This is, Nate has to kind of hold on to something in his life mm-hmm. with this AVM thing sort of going on. So it's like, yeah, no, I, I have this funeral home. And I don't know, when David was like, why are we fighting so hard? I was kind of like, yeah, why are you fighting so hard? Understanding this, the whole pride thing and everything, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I feel as though David is a little ambivalent about what he does. When he first dates uh, Ben, the first date he ever has with Ben, mm-hmm. he refuses to tell him that he's a funeral director. He makes up some fish story about being in textiles. Right. <clears throat> it's something ridiculous, and it, yeah. <laughs> it's totally a lie, and it doesn't. it works like a lie, which is badly... Yeah. <laughs> I think that David is a little bit conflicted about what he does. And, you know, I mean, I don't want to say anything that happens later, so let me just leave yeah, it right yeah. there. <laughs> also on this plane ride back, they uh, David asks Nate about how, if you've told Brenda you have AVM yet, 
you have the AVM situation going on yet, and he lies. Mm-hmm. Is he just keeping up the facade that, like, kind of, <laughs> to your point, where silence is key in this family, right? Just sort of keeping it up that, yes, everything's fine. Keeping up the idea that this engagement is a ter- terrible idea, but I'm just going to keep this. Yeah, I, I told Brenda. She's cool with it. You know Brenda. It just rolls right off her shoulders. Is that how? Is that how? Like, that's what? Do you think that silence thing is again here? You know, probably. Uh <sighs> I mean, Nate and Brenda, I don't think they, I mean, their relationship has always been troubled. Yeah, it's, it's up, it's rocky. It the is. Mo- the most, the, the best definition of a rocky relationship. So, honestly, I think that Nate at this point is having trouble accepting the AVM himself. Right, yeah, yeah, and he is. And I mean, he doesn't, re- I think David is the only one who he has willingly revealed it to. Yeah, so so far, yes. The only one he's told he's told Claire, but when he told Claire, it was a very matter of fact. It's like, yeah, I got AVM, no big deal. I take this medication, and everything's great. Yeah, and he only told her because she saw him have a seizure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't like he just thought it would be a good idea to tell Claire. Right, right. Um, I think that, yeah, I don't think Nate's fully accepted it himself. He won't deal with it, and if he can't yeah. deal with it, I mean, he's going to have to deal with Brenda dealing with it if he tells her, and that's just too much dealing for Nate. <laughs> right, right. Just the, yeah, the whole idea of everything. Uh, on 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 that same plane to flip it to Brenda, you know, there's like a little dream sequence where her and Nate are sleeping together, and the door knocks. She thinks a client's there, and just how you know, six feet under is about to do something. Uh, uh, next level, like is you know Nate, and it's sort of like this fishbowl camera lens, mm-hmm. and he just, just kind of comes up, and he's like, "I love you so much." And we see Brenda again. It, like I, I wish, I wish I could, I could just dissect not knowing it was a dream, because Brenda's like, okay, <laughs> he just grabs mm-hmm. the pillow and smothers Brenda. Uh, this idea is the idea is the uh, the idea of being married is suffocating to Brenda, right? Like Nate's not suffocating her with love or affection. It's the idea of being engaged to one man is what's suffocating to Brenda. I guess because what did you think what did you think the suffocation you know in the literary sense you know in a way I feel like the dream is maybe a little too um on the point like it's it's you know like it's heavy handed it's a little literal for me okay okay but you know in some ways Brenda reminds me of this is going to sound really crazy but Stick with me. She reminds me of what a lot of gay people go through because, you know, back in the day, we couldn't date when we were teenagers, right? Yeah. Because you had to be in the closet. Mm -hmm. So you had this extended adolescence. And if you think about Brenda, you know, she spent her childhood and her young adult years, her 20s, taking care of Billy. Right, right. She didn't go away to college. She never went to college at all, as I can remember. Yeah, I don't think so. So... And even when she first meet, met Nate, it was this, you know, quickie restroom yeah, sex. Yeah, in the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like Brenda is still not really in a place where she can – she knows how to have a relationship like this. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to hold Nate blameless because I really think that Nate is to blame for an awful lot that goes on in that relationship. <laughs> you know, I'm not yeah, sparing yeah. him. But Brenda yeah. has many issues to work out. Yeah. And this is her working them out, right? She's lashing out to the point of, you know, it's funny. It's like 
in a show that starts out with the death every episode. Every episode, you're going to get like a two-minute capsule of someone dying, and there's going to be misdirects, and it's supposed to be shocking in some instances, right? I mm. think up to this point where we're at in the show, the most shocking scene so far in the show where she's... Shocking Shocking's the bad word because it makes it sound like I had a hand over my mouth the entire time, but Brenda's in, in a massage in her client, and she gives him a rub and tug, however you want to call it, right? Jerks him <laughs> off, however you want to say it, right? Uh-huh. It's like, what are you doing? It's almost like at first, I remember my first watch, it's like, oh, this is definitely a dream because, you know, she's a massage therapist and they, they never give you any inclination that she's anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. And here, I, I like, let me let me start here. Were okay. you shocked at it by all? Actually, no. Just kind of like, oh my God, nothing like that? Like You were just like, okay, this is Brenda? Well, here's the thing. I think that oftentimes people can treat a sexual encounter the way they would treat drugs or alcohol it's something they take to numb themselves and to go away from Fair their enough. lives yeah yeah and if you look at Brenda's face when she starts to give him the hand job she doesn't look like to me there's something in her eyes that looks a little empty okay um, I, I think that she's using this little you know sordid encounter to get out of her head which is a place that she spends a lot of time in and really isn't very good for her yeah, yeah. See, you know what's funny is when she started, I felt like she was like empowering herself. Hmm. She's like, "Look at this! I, I could kind of, I could kind of do what I want. I, I could take control of of this, and this is something I could I can manipulate." But then it's followed up by like, "What did I just do? This is hmm. disgusting! What I just did, you know? Just telling you know the guy wants to reschedule, and he's like, "Yeah, let, let's let's never do this again." I felt I felt like she kind of like it's sort of like the last episode if you remember where she watches what prompt uh, again there's so much into it right but kind of what prompts her to to propose to Nate is if you remember she goes with her her escort friend Melissa watches her have sex she comes home and she's like doesn't know what to do and the next thing is like mate Nate will you marry me mm-hmm. I just feel like she's towing like you said like she has a lot to work out in her head I think she kind of tip dips her toe over the line to kind of see this other side that she's sort of like flirting with and every time it's like oh my god that's disgusting but I want more kind of to your point about with drugs and sex and that's completely different but kind of like you know you get you, you, as you get you know you, you, you've had you drink you have hangovers and you, you're disgusted the next day but it's not like you're never going to drink again mm-hmm. I think she's sort of flirting with that that dangerous and it's really hard to keep going on about this when you can't speak about what happens in the future yeah, um, <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> but yeah yeah uh, um, regardless of it right she kind of when she fin- she's disgusted is it fair to say she's disgusted by what she did oh absolutely you can see you know she's got her back to him and yeah, the camera's yeah. on her face and you can see where she comes back into herself and, and realizes like oh my gosh that's so sleazy which it, it yeah, was yeah we can move over back to miss collins she comes to the fisher funeral home demanding that she see his, her husband who we know again who's in pretty bad condition being ran to the propellers mm. um this this prompted me reminded me right uh a story i wanted to share when i first started the podcast uh Neil, I don't know how comfortable you are with podcasting. Is nitpicking your first sort of go-around with podcasting? It is. Okay. Uh, that idea when you first start, right? Like you're kind of shaping everything and you find yourself where you're comfortable at, right? 
I had wanted to tell this story on the introductory podcast, and it's not meant to be shocking. It's just meant to tell you, like, these things happen. I'm someone who doesn't believe anything I see on, on the internet, right? I, I, I don't want to get into it. Fake news, right? Okay. Fake news in the terms of, like, you know, woman kills her husband over chicken nuggets. And it's like, okay, that can't be true, right? Mm-hmm. The, the point of this story, and it just reminds me here what Miss Collins go through, like, this is just like, I've seen this with my own eyes. I'm not flubbing any details. I'm not making it more dramatic or anything. To, to set up what, what story I'm going to go into is that uh, we see Nate opens the casket for Miss Collins, right? Mm-hmm. And she sort of starts to cry, but then she starts laughing. You know, she's like, I'm, what does she say? I'm f- so fucking happy you're dead. Mm-hmm. You know, she's sort of like cheering his death. And then it's like, you know, you can't hit me no more. It gets mm-hmm. dark really fast and. She closes the ca- Nate closes the casket. She goes, thank you, and kind of walks out. Mm-hmm. Let me go here because I, I, I want to clear the room for the story. Anything on that and on, on how that the idea of that, what she does? You know, it's a, she, I, 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 here's the two impressions I came away from that scene with. Mm-hmm. One is that the actress really nails that scene. Oh, so good. Yes, yeah, so good. It's so easy to get wrong, right? There's yes. such a fine line, and she plays it great. Agreed. The second thing, and this is really very petty of me, but do you know the actress? <laughs> do you know the actress Catherine O'Hara, who later has a role on Six familiar. Feet Under? Oh, she's from Beetlejuice, right? Yeah, yeah, and she later okay. appears on Six Feet Under. Yeah, yeah. The actress who plays Mrs. Collins doesn't she look like if Catherine O'Hara <laughs> melted slightly? Did you say melted? Yeah. <laughs> Like if Catherine O'Hara just melted a little bit, she would turn into Mrs. Collins. I know that's, that's really funny. <laughs> it's so unworthy of me. I'm sorry, actress who played Mrs. Collins. I really am. No, she would agree. She would agree. See, this you is melted me. <laughs> this is why if I meet any of the Star Trek cast, <laughs> yeah, oh god, <laughs> my ass is kicked. Oh boy, that's really fun. Um. Oh, I don't even want to tell my story now because that's so funny. <laughs> no, no, please tell it. <laughs> I ruined Melted it. <laughs> Catherine O'Hara. So let me say this here uh, again. Like, just to set it up again that she, she opens, they open the casket for Nate and it's supposed to be horrific. She's supposed to see something horrific. And I bet she does, right? A, mm. a, a body that's been through a propeller. And she, she goes from the crying to start, she starts laughing. She's happy she's dead. She's talking about she can't hit me no more, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it's been setting up the whole episode that she's been, she's been, uh, what's, I don't want to call her a slave to her husband, but in a dark place with her husband. A sort mm-hmm. of life almost, right? Uh, this story is, it, it's when I first started in the funeral industry, right? And sort of, if, if I could put you in the scene here where they're at the Fisher funeral home. Right before you leave for a funeral, um, with, let's say with an open casket, you sort of let uh, people who are not family pay their respects, mm-hmm. and then you kind of go up the chain up until whoever it is, the the, the, the spouse, the, the, the parents, the sibling, whoever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this one particular one, and not that it plays a role at all, but this was a, a, a Puerto Rican family, just sort of setting up, giving you all the details. And... There was nothing unusual about. You could always get a read when, when you're when you're serving a family in the funeral, right? You could get a read on what's going on. These two people don't like each other. They didn't like mom or dad so much, you know, or they loved them so much that they can't possibly handle the death, right? Mm-hmm. There was nothing unusual. There was like some bickering, but it wasn't anything major. Nothing I would have blinked my eye at. 
this again this is i had i mean i wasn't even a year into the industry funeral industry and we're doing we're going through our thing and last one was the daughter the daughter was going to be the last one before we closed the casket mm-hmm. and you know we sort of pull there the casket out of the funeral home into the hearse and go on to our church cemetery so we let her go and she's like you know could i have a few minutes we're like yeah sure so we're just sort of in the back of the room and usually you know, it's just sort of a, a silent moment or something, you know, or they'll say a few words to, to whoever it is and whatever. We're sitting in the back of the room and it's this woman who she, she's, she's, she's done up. Let's just say she has her makeup, her hair, whatever, and she's speaking to her father in the casket. She's speaking to him and all of a sudden we're in the back of the room and she starts wailing on the dead guy with her fist. Whoa. She is she is going to town, just just pitch. I mean, she's she's going to the town where like you could her bag and her jewelry and everything is falling off to the point like we had to like restrain her and she's just punching right. Whoa! But the funniest part is she kind of gathers herself up and she just goes, "Thank you," and she just walks out. She's sort of like out of breath and like you know she's sort of like a little disheveled. Uh the amount of years of hate that was probably there for her to do that, you know, yeah, and it was just like, whoa, what did we just, what just happened? The hunt, the entire funeral went on, and nothing, no one spoke a word about it. Huh. You know, we 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 were on edge. We were like, okay, keep an eye on her, keep an eye on her. Um, but yeah, and, and what's funny about that? If someone else has told me that story, I would have been like, there, there's not. You're flubbing some detail, whatever. Everything I'm saying, I've seen. I've seen it with my own eyes. It was the strangest thing, just the way she she did it, and it looked like she just got it out, straightened herself up, and got out. You know, mm. so something like this, what, to the point when she says, "You can't hit me no more," and you know, she's like, "I'm so happy you're dead." Like I, that triggered that story in my mind. You mm. know, um, so yeah, that's just something I always wanted to share on the on the podcast, and it's just something that was always like. You never really know someone's feelings. To be fair, uh, ten years in the industry, I've never, I've never seen that again. <laughs> okay. You know, um, that was just sort of a one-time thing, and a part of me is happy to see it. You know, mm. I would have never believed anything like that. But uh, yeah, that's just something I always wanted to <laughs> talk about on the show. <laughs> uh, to close out the the Nate Miss Collins uh, storyline. Nate comes home after the Collins funeral and you know we see it's sort of weighing on his mind right and he's sitting here and he's talking to Brenda a great line from Brenda she says you know you think people Nate Nate's about how I I don't understand why people stay together if they don't like each other and everything right and Brenda goes you think people stay together because it makes them happy Mm -hmm. as narcissist as Brenda is there's a lot of truth to that right Mm mm-hmm like, you get to a certain age, you know certain people stay together out of comfortability. Well, there's a bunch of reasons, right? I don't have to get into the reasons. Um, I, I kind of like Nate's infant mind being like, I don't understand why if two people just don't like each other, they don't just get out of it. That final thing with them there, because they also talk about, right, it's like, we'll never do that. We're perfect, Brenda and Nate. Yeah, you, look, I have to confess, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of, of Nate. Okay. I really am not. Why? Why? Uh, I think he's in um <laughs> because Nate, you know, he he's always searching for some transcendent moment that will tell him what his life okay. should be about. <laughs> um and you know, 
we see this, you know, as the season goes, as the show goes on. But even so far, you see it all the time. Like Nate's always searching for these moments of profound, you know, profundity that will give him a, a view into the nature right. of the universe right. and his ultimate destiny. And it causes him to never right. be where he is. And he's really self-centered about it. Um, so he's just the kind to think like, no, like Brenda is my destiny and I could not imagine why anyone else would ever <laughs> think differently. Like, well, <laughs> so I'm not at all surprised that the two of them had that conversation. Mm-hmm. It totally fits who they are. And it's funny because Nate asked her, you know, if we're ever met at each other, we won't do anything to cover it up. <laughs> it's like yeah it's like what like get engaged um yeah i, I love the, that whole that whole little quick scene like, is so great because it's like the biggest lies the, the, that scene could just be it, it, it could have been literally two lies just talking to each other like bodies that are made out of letters you know just the two of them going on oh, yeah. Other. yeah i wanted like he has a sign that says i could die any day <laughs> yeah. and she has a sign that says i give hand jobs to strangers yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah. <laughs> like, two of them it could be the same. Oh boy. Um, David and Ben are at church, and we see Taylor is here, and she comes running into mm. David's arms. And it's funny, like if you remember their first interaction between David and Taylor, they didn't, you know, a, a typical kid, uh, more than a typical kid, just really not warming up to David. But here, I mean. It's the sweetest we've seen her so far <laughs> for Taylor, someone who's so foul mm-hmm. Uh She's being really sweet with David and just how much she misses him. And, you know, you kind of see the way she reacts with Ben. That's how she kind of treated David. And, you know, yeah. we get that quick little scene where Keith doesn't even go over to say hi to David and calls Taylor back over. Yeah, I think that – and, you know, Taylor, with her typical directness, uh, when David tries to – engage in a little, you know, social prevarication says, Oh, I didn't even know you were here. And she says, That's <laughs> yeah, a big ass lie. I saw you staring at us in church. <laughs> right, <laughs> she blows right. him right out of the water. Um, when when Ben and David go back to the house and we have the scene where, you know, Ben takes David, he lays him down, they start making out. And Ben reveals, uh, I could really love you, David. David not being there yet sort of, mm-hmm. you know, forces him into revealing the truth. And, you know, mm-hmm. Kind of like I was saying earlier, where, where where David was already dressed and Ben was still getting ready, like David knew this wasn't going to work because he's still in love with Keith, you know, because he's just sort of going. He's like, I, you know, Ben, I'm sorry, I, you know, Ben was sort of like a cover up for Keith. Is that somewhat fair to say? Just the way he's like, I thought meeting someone new and getting in, involved with someone else would have sort of erased the Keith that's going on. Hmm. You know, it almost feels like Ben was an experiment. Exactly, that David was running to see if he can if he can get past Keith, and he can't yet. Right, he's still in love with him, and it, you know what's sure. funny is like, as quick as Ben came in, is as quick as he left. I I, I felt bad for Ben because it sucks to be the experiment, right? Because I mean that it was just yes. David, like you said, yeah, just kind of feeling his way through it. Yeah, he was, and you know, he has every right to hold a grudge against David. You know, but at the same time, like, he goes on to parks and recreation, yeah, so... he'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, he's just fine. You go, Ben. Uh, Sarah comes home from the farmer's market, uh, because of course, and we get to see the real reason why 
like we talked about before, the, the rift between Ruth and Sarah. Mm-hmm. This scene is so great. This is the reason I picked this episode to podcast when you offered. Go ahead then. I'll give I'll give um, you the space then. Well, let me set it up. Right? They, well, they kind of talked about okay. just sort of. It, they finally have their 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 moment where they where they talk without the bullshit and. Ruth is just asking for it to apologize, and Sarah's like, "Fine, I apologize. Now what?" And uh, you know, you could talk about it more, but Sarah reveals how she could never have kids, and her correct me if I'm wrong. Her first husband died, also. Yeah, because Ruth says, you know, when when Sarah kind of says, "I'm sorry," but what good does that do? And Ruth says, "It doesn't do any good because you had more right, fun." Right. Right. That's that's like the that's the and, climax of their let's call this a fight. Yeah. You know, and, and that's when Sarah, you know, she doesn't yell back and she just says, the only man I ever loved died when I was 21. Mm-hmm. The, the children that I desperately wanted are impossible because my ovaries are as dry as stone. I'm a terrible artist, but I surround myself with people whose talent I will never realize. And then she says, it's all hard, Ruth. We just made different choices. And I, I, I can tell you, I know that by heart because the first time I heard it, it stuck yeah, in my head. Yeah, yeah. The show has a great knack for that, where just something a character says sticks with you. Uh, why did that stick with you? What was it about Sarah saying that? It's just simply that, like people making different life choices? Well, I think that – all right. I think that Ruth – I think so often siblings don't see each other for who they are. They see each other for who they think that they were at the time. 20 years ago, 30 years Great ago. Great point. And I don't think that Ruth was thinking, like, there's been a lot of water under the bridge since I took care of Grandma. That water passed not just for me, but it passed for Sarah as well. And you can see that Ruth deflates after she hears all yeah, this. Yeah, she does. And, you know, I think that it kind of brings, in my view, the title of the episode into it because Ruth realizes that the, the resentment that she's held towards Sarah, it needs to go and she needs to put something in place of that anger. I was having trouble with the title of the episode and just as you were speaking right now, it kind of dawned on me. Like if there was a light bulb above my head, it would have gone off because, yeah, in place of anger. I have nothing more to say besides really well said. <laughs> no, because like, like uh, I, yes, you're right. When I asked you for an episode, you picked this episode and it's like, yes, for this scene, this scene here. Uh, something that I realized watching it on this this part because again i've watched six feet under a lot but now i'm sitting down Mm. and analyzing right analyzing everything right again i don't know there's that line like am i am i reading too much into this am i just kind of create something that isn't there or is it sort of there uh nate with his avm sarah with her ovaries they're like the fun happy go lucky siblings right while Ruth and David mm. are, are like the timid, thoughtful caretaker siblings, you think that's that there's a similarity mm. there between the, the the four of them? I, I do think so. Um, and you know, now that ties back to something we were just talking about. David is the first person, and so far the only person to whom Nate has revealed the secret willingly. Yes, because he knows that David is the guy who takes care of people and takes care of situations. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, Sarah, as we'll see later on, Sarah, I think, feels the same way about Ruth, at least to an extent. Yeah, 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 that's fair to say. 
that Ruth is someone who can who can take care of you if you need taking uh-huh. care of. You know, it's really funny. I, I I play the episode while I do the podcast, just to sort of you know just see if I pick up anything, or whatever. And I'm watching the scene we're talking about right now, and Sarah has like this okay. jacket on that's like one arm is sort of half off, one sleeve is sort of half off her arm. Mm-hmm. She just really, I I can't describe it better than that. It just she looks breezy. She just looks like she's floating, whatever. And she's wearing purple and this whatever dress, right? And I just seen there's a camera goof because it's now back on her shoulder. But now to yeah. Ruth, she's wearing all these like really mundane colors, but she's wearing yellow gloves and a mop. Yep. And it's like funny. It's like, yes, that's Ruth taking care of everything where Sarah's just this sort of breezy, you know, sweater halfway off the shoulder and everything. Uh, I never picked up on it till we're talking about it right now. That's funny. And if, as, you'll, as you'll recall, at the end of the scene... Sarah says, let me finish that for you, and takes the mop uh-huh, uh-huh, and finishes uh-huh. the floor. Yeah, yeah. It's a nice touch to the end of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, just something Six Feet Under does well. Uh, our final, the, uh, final scene of the episode, and I'm going to lump in something that we skipped by earlier, is where uh, Sarah's doing yoga in the chapel. Mm. <laughs> and Claire mm-hmm. is just so damn intrigued, like, like, like a little kid who has a crush on like an older woman or, mm-hmm. or realizes for the first time he likes women, right? <laughs> and, you know, so intrigued by everything. You know, we sort of skipped over a lot of – well, we did skip over just everything. Claire is so intrigued by Sarah, right? Sure. It was such a sad moment. Later, earlier in the episode, when Ruth tries to like form a relationship with Claire, you know, when she sort of goes to her room to drop off laundry, and she's just like, "You can do anything you put your mind to," mm-hmm. and Claire just that that's 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 Ruth reaching out, and Claire just sort of brushes her off. Yeah. Um, really quick before we get to the end scene of the the final scene of the episode, uh, something I like to do every episode is like sort of the show sort of dates itself. And I imagine someone who's 20, 24 years old and younger has no idea that Claire's on AOL. Because we, we get those like AOL chimes, if you remember. And Ruth comes in and she's like, what are you doing? And Claire's like, I'm talking to someone on the internet, mom. <laughs> I know. I was, when I watched it this afternoon, I was like, oh my gosh, she's on AOL. She's on AOL. And she, she, she's, she has IMs with people. And, you know, it gets me to thinking too. And I, I, I can't go too far down this hole. But if you remember AOL, like they started kind of kind of how like our, our iPhones today come up with like iOS 8 and 9. And there's like new features on text messaging like AOL used to do the same shit because it used to be block lettering, right? Uh-huh. And then they started adding you could do your own text. Then they <laughs> added like profiles and then colors to your <laughs> messages. And then it's like you can message me and I could have an, an an away voicemail of sorts. Not a voicemail, an away message. Sure. Where if you message me, it's like, yo, out at the movies, call me later. Mm-hmm. Um, man, just the idea. And I, me personally, I, I went down this like AOL rabbit hole where I just go on YouTube and I'm just a different, you know, Oh, man, just the, the idea of AOL. There's a certain <laughs> age where people will never understand that. Um, but anyway, that, that's going far off on a tangent. Uh, Ruth comes into Claire's room, and she has a box of all of Claire's art when she was younger. Uh, mm. there, there's this other podcast I listen Well, there's a Fisher Cast podcast, which is about the show, and they, they sort of done this about six years ago. And they had two mothers on the show. And the two mothers, the first thing they said is, I, have, I do the same thing. Where they had all their art of their their children, 
you know, uh, the children were younger. I don't know if they were <laughs> 17 like Claire. Mm-hmm. It, it was really sweet by Ruth, right? To sort of, I mean, she's pulling out like a, I don't want to call it a last ditch effort, but just sort of to show Ruth, uh, Claire that, you know, she was always there for her, always had it in her, kind of what Sarah brought out. Well, you know, don't you think that this is a way of asking for intimacy that's not a naked demand? Yes, yes. This isn't this isn't busting in her room demanding intimacy. This is uh, an inv- a soft invitation. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's that that's that that's a fair point. I don't know. I, me like my mind sort of shut off and was just like, this is so sweet, you know. <laughs> just a, a mother bringing her her, you know. The, all these little artifacts from when she was little, their stupid little art, and let's face it, the art is, it's, it's a little kid art, right? Sure. So yeah. How great is it? But it's just really sweet to, to see this, um, again, especially going through what they've been going through the episode. Well, don't you think that, okay, when Sarah breezes into Claire's room, mm-hmm. and she offers these very insightful critiques of the works that Claire has around, mm-hmm. Ruth only offers a cliche, you can be anything you want to be. <laughs> And Claire, I think her role in this show, she's sort of the the somewhat outsider who sees things clearly or who tries to. Mm-hmm. And Claire yeah. does not like bullshit. Yeah, yeah. And what her mom, when Ruth says to her, you can be whatever you put your mind to, that's bullshit. That's a cliche. Yeah, yeah. But coming into her room with the box of keepsakes, that's real. That's authentic. And that's what Claire wants and what's what, is what she responds to. Yeah, that that's a that's a really great point about Claire is she doesn't she won't listen to cliches. She's not she never she probably never did, you know, adhere to that stuff. Sort of going back on prior episodes where she's talking with the counselor. Mm-hmm. Nothing with the counselor works when he's just, you know, put your mind to it or do whatever. But when he gets like when he hits like the real when he hits like the real nerve of what she's talking about, it's where if she sort of opens up. Yes, this this I guess and, and the fact that it was coming from her mother is sort of what made it even better, you know, for her. Another thing, well, that sort of closes out our episode. Uh, the one thing we did skip over, and it was just a rather quick scene, was Rico's home inspection. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> to me, the reason why I left it out was just sort of because uh, it, it feeds to a storyline later. But mm-hmm. do you have something just on what we see here in the episode? You know, they set something up, but I don't even want to talk about what they set up because. Right. You know, I I just feel like Rico and Vanessa. Rico can be a a tremendous jerk. (laughs) Well, not a tremendous jerk. He's a very little person. So he's a little jerk. Right, (laughs) right. Um, But (laughs) so can Vanessa. So the two of them, they kind of work together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely. Because uh, the way she's like, oh, man, what did she say about him going to get a body? Which yeah. and Rico flips out, and I would have flipped out, too. Sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's something about stay here, don't, don't, don't be their bitch boy, or, or something he says like that, she says. Yeah, which is odd for her. It's an odd thing for her to say, given that she kind of forced him into buying that house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I, guess, I guess the thing I could say about this quick scene is that the, the the mold being a byproduct of letting her sister give the down payment, you know, you, you could sort of ignore the mold for a minute, but eventually it's going to bubble up, sort mm-hmm. of like it does here, and it will. Yeah, and it's expensive to fix, just like the mold. <laughs> yes. Uh, anything else that we glossed over that we didn't talk about, Neil? 
You know, there is one thing I noticed that when Mrs. Collins is in for the intake. Melted Catherine O'Hara. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, you know. No. You see her one day. I want that interaction. Oh, Come on, boy. When she comes in. Okay. She's, she's talking about how she's feeling. And Nate says a, a line from C.S. Lewis, which I thought was amazing. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Um, it was, no one ever told me that grief felt so like fear. Uh-huh. And I, I I think that is as true as anything I've ever heard in my life. It's well let me let me ask you here, because was he dreaming that? Because that sort of quick cuts to them in the office and that's where they get this discussion about does it ever get easier? And it's like, no, it doesn't get easier, it gets more normal. Was either a dream? Because it, it do you remember like it, it quick cuts really fast. Yeah. I did think that was odd. But I I don't mean to take the take the take the air out of what you're talking about. It just I didn't know how to like to, sort of to, how to receive it. So in my mind, like I sort of left it out because yeah, it's a great line. It, it, it's really it made it made me sit there for a minute and just think about that line uh, from C.S. Lewis. But I don't know. I was thrown off. Was like which one was the dream? Was him offering the book to her and that line a dream or him? Or was it neither? Was it just, just one of these weird jump cuts? You know, it's hard to say, but I will say this much. I think that part of being Nate is that he's really good interacting with people when he doesn't have to make a connection with them, a lasting connection. <laughs> yeah, and he is, and he is, you're right, because we see it time after time. Uh, he's really good with connecting with these people who, uh, a fly-by-night sort of thing just for him. He doesn't the connection doesn't last long. Um, yeah, he really. So, yeah, he really. Go ahead. Well, I think it's just the kind of thing that he would say, and I don't mean to say it's a line or that it's a lie, mm-hmm. but it, it's very typical of Nate to come up with just the right thing to say to someone he doesn't have to invest very much in. Yeah, he doesn't have to. Uh, what's the word? It's not that he has to fake it. It's just there for him. Yeah, it's a great point. It's a great point. Neil, if, if, if we've touched on everything that you've wanted to discuss, uh, that brings us to the end of our episode. <laughs> if we could talk about your podcast again, uh, Nitpicking the Next Generation, uh, you can you find you on iTunes. Uh, any other? Uh, were you, do you have any other podcasts? I, I sort of remember when we were talking. Or is it just the Star, the Star Trek one? That's my first podcast. Um, oh, okay. When we get done with the next generation, you know, we've had people, listeners, suggesting other shows we should nitpick. But, but for right now, we're sticking with the next generation because we have another, I think, three and a half seasons to podcast. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's like 26 episodes a season. So this is going to wow. take us well into 2019. <laughs> um, but they can find us on iTunes. And we're also, our website is www.peckable, P-E-C-C-A-B-L-E dot com. And then, Neil, can people find you on Twitter or the podcast on Twitter? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at TrackerNeil, and the podcast is at Peckable. So we have two different Twitter accounts. Follow one, follow them both. You'll get podcast information from either one. Awesome, awesome, great. And again, like I said, I, I listened to an episode. Uh, not Star Trek is just that rare one thing. That and Lord of the Rings is one of those rare things that I just never got into. Something I kind of wish I got into when I was younger. But having watched, listened to one of the episodes, <laughs> I was cracking up. Just the way you guys, <laughs> it, it was just really funny. Again, putting all of it in my head. And 
in my head, it was just like that 1980s television. Just ridiculous. <laughs> uh, it, really well done. Again, as, as someone who doesn't know much about it. Um, Thank you. Uh, you can listen to this podcast and all prior episodes on diggingsixfeetunder.com. Rather, I take that back, diggingpodcast.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at diggingpodcast. You can like us on Facebook. We're at diggingsixfeetunder. And join me next week as we'll be talking about episode seven of six feet under with kelsey of the death cast thanks for listening everyone thank you for listening to the digging six feet under podcast join us on the next episode as we review each episode of hbo's original television series six feet under Please search and subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes under Digging Six Feet Under. The Digging Six Feet Under podcast is in no way affiliated with HBO or Six Feet Under, and the views expressed here are solely that of the hosts. No infringement is intended.